0: Risen Lord, you are the one that meets us on the road right where we are, right in our doubts, right in our disappointment. And you are here this morning and you are ready to reveal yourself to us, to show us who you are and to show us what you are up to in the world. And you're here to do that through the opening of the scriptures, and in the breaking of bread. And so give us hearts of hospitality this morning that welcome you in, that are ready to hear from you, ready to be taught by you, that we might see and be changed. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Great to be worshiping with you uh, again this Sunday morning. It's always an awesome privilege to preach the word. Uh, it's especially an awesome privilege during Easter tide because we had these amazing passages. And uh, last Sunday, Father Matthew preached from a really great passage in John. And this Sunday we have one of the most amazing passages in all of Luke some of the best storytelling in the entire Bible. It's a story that we can all relate to because if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, that probably means that you haven't yet truly believed in the resurrection. And these two disciples definitely don't believe that the resurrection has happened, right? And then maybe you have believed, but maybe you've been at a point where you've been ready to walk away from Jesus. You've been disillusioned, you've been disappointed, you've lost hope, or maybe someone close to you is in a similar situation. Well, this is a story about that as well, isn't it? And so no matter where we're kind of sitting this morning, I think this story can be really close to us. What I love is that it's about a journey, and we're all on a journey. It's a journey from darkness to light. It's a journey from doubt to faith. It's a journey from blindness to sight. Our story this morning begins this way. On that same day, two of them, so two of the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. On that same day, what day is it? It's Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. In fact, this verse comes right after the resurrection narrative of the angel telling Mary, hey, Jesus has been, has been risen from the dead, and she goes back and tells the disciples. On that same day that the disciples received that news, two disciples were in the room, and they said, nah, we're not buying it. We're out of here. And if you know anything about Luke's gospel, you know that in that gospel, Jerusalem is the place you wanna be. Jerusalem is where it's going down. It is the epicenter of what God is doing in the world. It's in Jerusalem that Jesus is going to die on the cross. It's in Jerusalem that he's going to raise from the dead. It's in Jerusalem that he's going to meet the disciples. That's where he's going to ascend into heaven. And it's where he's going to send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, right? So if you want to be where God is, if you want to be where Jesus is, if you want to be where where the work of Jesus is in the world, the place you got to get to is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And it turns out in our story, this is the very place that the disciples are walking away from. Some of us know what that's like to have given up hope and to want to walk away. I know I have friends in this very situation. Friends I went to seminary with. Friends I studied this stuff with. And they're on a road away from it these disciples have given up hope in Jesus. And we can call this disillusionment. And friends, this is when you realize that everything you have invested your life in turns out not to be what you thought it was. And in their moment of despair, they are doing what so many of us would do they're going for a walk. Anybody ever do this? Like, it could be at some times, like, my, parent, my kids are just driving me crazy, right? And we turn to your spouse, you're like, honey, I gotta go for a walk, all right? I just gotta get out the house for a few seconds. I'm gonna go walk around the neighborhood and just get out, out of this place. They're going for a walk. But what I love is that they're not walking on their own. They're walking together with a friend They might be hurt, they might be sad, they might be full of doubt, but they aren't trying to do it alone. And so they're walking together and they're talking. They're processing all the traumatic events that they have just witnessed, right? They were there for it in Jerusalem as it went down. And they're processing and they're talking with each other And our text says in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Some of us think, if only I could meet Jesus face to face, then I I would believe, right? Or if only Jesus would show himself to so-and-so, then I know they would circum the church and everything would be good, right? But it turns out it doesn't work that way. Because in the scriptures, not everyone that sees Jesus sees Jesus. It requires revelation to see who Jesus is. You see, salvation is mostly something about what God does for us, He's the one that opens our eyes. We need His revelation. And so Jesus shows up in the middle of their conversation. And he starts asking questions, like, hey, what are you guys talking about? (laughs) Oh, some guy suffered? Oh, I'd love to hear about that suffering guy. Like, who who did they put to death, you know? I want to know more about that. Oh, man, you could see Jesus maybe trolling them a little bit, having some fun. And they're thinking, hey, what is wrong with this guy? Like, are you, like, living under a rock, right? Like, has has your phone been off for, like, the last three or four days, like, Have you not seen in your news feed what's happening? Everyone knows what's going on. So they ask him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened these past few days? And Jesus says, oh, no, what thing? I would like to know. Please tell me more. And so they say, well, there's this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he's a prophet who did powerful deeds And he spoke powerful words. In fact, he did them before everyone, like everybody kind of saw it. But then our religious leaders, they went ahead and handed him over to our Roman enemies. And there he was crucified. And then we received these key words. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And maybe you can feel a little bit of what they are feeling in this moment because you had hoped to. Maybe you had hoped by now to be married, or you had hoped that your marriage would be better by now than it is. You had hoped to have kids. You had hoped to be a little further along in your career right now, had been a little bit more successful. You had hoped that your success would have brought a little bit more happiness, maybe a little bit more peace in the home. For, for some of us, these hopes are maybe less on a personal level and also on a macro level. You had hoped to live in a country where you can pull into the wrong driveway without getting shot. You had hoped that a black boy could accidentally ring the doorbell without a stranger shooting him in the head. You had hoped that the world was becoming a better place, but after the last few years, you just aren't sure anymore. There's the personal, there's the macro. And I think the disciples are feeling that on the personal level and on the macro level, but then there's something even bigger, I think, that is going on here. I think it's incredibly hard for these disciples because they have lost the hope that God is doing something in the world through the person of Jesus. They had hoped And when we're in hopeless times, we say things like, well, we just have to trust God's plan, right? We say these kind of things, right? Like that Drake song, right? God's plan. (laughs) But what happens when we lose hope in God's plan? And that is the moment these disciples are in. We had hoped that he was the one that would redeem Israel. Well, what did they mean by this phrase "redeem"? Well, what they mean by that is they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, and for them, Messiah had to mean the one that would defeat Israel's pagan oppressors and to free them. Instead, Jesus did the opposite. Jesus suffered at the hand of the pagan oppressors, and so these disciples have come to the conclusion that Jesus is not the Messiah. Because the Messiah does not suffer. You see, friends, their eyes have not yet been opened. And Jesus is right in front of their face, but they cannot see Jesus. They don't understand what has happened. Yes, the Romans have crucified him. And yes, that is how he redeemed Israel. The cross is how Christ redeems the world. The cross does not equal defeat, but these disciples simply cannot see. This is a story that we see over and over again in the church, actually. We see it all the time. It's a story of misplaced trust. These disciples have placed their trust in a fake Messiah, like not the real Messiah that God had sent into the world. It was a Messiah that they had constructed. And some of us are in a similar place, right? Some of us have been trusting in the wrong Jesus. We put our our faith in Jesus. It's just a wrong version of Jesus. Maybe as a kid, you asked white American Jesus to come live in your heart and make you a better American person. Maybe you put your faith in genie Jesus that exists to give us all the things we want and prevents us from having any suffering. Maybe you put your trust in liberal hippie Jesus who deeply cares about causes but it turns out he isn't really concerned about everyone knowing him and who he is. He certainly doesn't care about what we do in the bedroom, even though he supposedly created life. Maybe you put your faith in Republican Jesus or Democratic Jesus or Libertarian Jesus, but it turns out none of those Jesuses are the real Jesus. It's King Jesus, guys. He's a monarchist. We should know this, all right? <laughs> Right now, some of our Christian friends are having a discussion, which I think is an important discussion, around the topic they're calling deconstruction. And I'll just say this, not everyone who's out there talking about deconstruction on like podcasts and stuff are the kind of people you want to be learning life from. Like, they're not, they're not all model disciples, but I'll just tell you, I actually don't have a problem with the word deconstruction, because at its best, it means unlearning unhelpful and harmful things and untrue things that you were taught. And if this is what deconstruction means, by all means, this is the place to to deconstruct. That's a lot of what we're here to do. In fact, I feel like the calling of every pastor in America should be a part of their calling. It's helping people who have learned unhelpful things about Jesus unlearn those things. But there's gotta also be a, a process of reconstructing like we need to unlearn the bad things about the messiah and the construct we had about the messiah and we need to actually learn like what is Jesus actually up up to in the world like what kind of person was he like what kind of life was he living and what kind of life is he calling us to live into and i would hope that this is a very healthy community for you to yes deconstruct all those bad things and let's put together a, what i would call a historic Jesus Like the one that the church has believed into. The one that the saints died for. Like, let's go find that Jesus and learn from him. So if I were to summarize this first part, I would say it this way. We can find ourselves losing faith in Jesus, not because there's anything wrong with Jesus, but because we have misplaced our hopes in the kind of Jesus we thought we needed. And in doing so, we fail to see how Jesus is redeeming the world. Jesus is actually redeeming the world through suffering and not by avoiding it. And we could stop there. But we're not. We're going to go through the whole entire story. Let's go back into it. Here's the picture that that Luke has painted for us, okay? Two disciples who are disillusioned with Jesus— have heard the report about the empty tomb, right? Uh, But instead of sticking around to see what happens next, they're actually walking away from it. And they seem to be moving in the wrong direction. And their eyes cannot recognize the Jesus right in front of them. And they're unable to recognize the redeeming work of God in the world. What can save them? (laughs) What can move them from blindness to sight? from disillusionment to faith. There are three things that happen in this story that are gonna totally transform their lives, gonna totally transform their worldview, gonna totally transform their sense of reality and what God is up to in the world. And the first one is this, Jesus meets them on the road right where they are. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I were just going to invent some gospel story about Jesus and the resurrection, I would probably have some story about where Jesus only came and hung out with the folks that are like in the upper room, right? Like what Father Matthew talked about last week, where like he came and hung out with the faithful ones, but then the other two that were down going down the road, they just missed out because they just weren't in the right place. Like they weren't where they needed to be to connect with Jesus. And that might be my gospel story. But it turns out we don't have a gospel story like that, do we? And I'm so glad that Jesus isn't like me. Like if you rose from the dead after three days, what would you be doing? I know what I'd be doing. I'd show up and I'd be like, where's the taco truck? I'm hungry. I've been in the grave for three days, right? And then someone would be like, John, it's Atlanta, there's Chambly, there's no taco trucks. You got to go to Taco Bellos right there on, on Chambly Dunwood. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm like still coming out of it. All right. And then I'd go over there, and I'd eat my three tacos. And then I'd be like, all right, let's go see the disciples, you know. Let's go find the buds. And I'm going to go appear to the faithful ones. And I'm going to go be where they are and, you know, maybe show off some of my scars and stuff, you know, whatever, whatever you would be doing with that resurrected body, you know, maybe playing some basketball, you know. Um, I don't know that I'd be the one to go track down these disciples. And yet, this is who Jesus is. On the very day he is risen from the dead, he is going after these two disciples he cares deeply about. And sometimes we imagine that the worst thing in the world that could happen to someone is that if they're walking in the wrong direction, they seem to be walking away from God, away from church, away from Jesus. And friends, I just want to remind you this morning, for God, it's not that big of a deal. Because Jesus can come and find you right where you are. And if you're here this morning and you're having trouble hoping, my encouragement for you is find a friend. Find someone here in the room that you can walk with. That you can process with, be open to a fresh conversation with a stranger. These are the kinds of places that Jesus has been known to show up. The first thing that happens that transform their lives, that Jesus comes to them right where they are. And the second thing is, is that Jesus reveals himself to them through the scriptures, So once they finished telling Jesus that they had hoped that he was the one, Jesus kind of gives them a little reprimand, like, hey, don't you know? Like, don't you know what it says in the scriptures? And then the text says that he began to walk them through Moses and the prophets. And that's a very Bible way of just saying he like went through the entire Old Testament, showing them the crucified Messiah, the crucified and risen one, the suffering servant. And he begins to show them through all of scripture how this is exactly how God had always wanted it to be. This isn't a mistake. He's a Messiah that redeems God's people through suffering. How do you move from blindness to sight? How do we move from the wrong ideas to the right ideas about Jesus? Well, the first thing we wanna do here is to get into the word. You gotta read the word. And you've got to read the entire word, New Testament and Old Testament, in light of the, of the crucified and risen Messiah. You've got to see him in it, in, in every part of it. You've got to read the Bible with Jesus. How do we read the Bible with Jesus? Well, one, we can ask the Spirit of Christ to teach us to read The Apostle Paul says that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive in us. And before Jesus went away, he said to his disciples, hey, the Holy Spirit is gonna come and is gonna guide you and and is gonna lead you in all things. The Spirit is here as a teacher. So one way we read the Bible with Jesus is simply opening our Bibles and just asking the Spirit, hey, speak. I want to hear, I want to learn. Prayerfully open that Bible and read. And a second way that we read the Bible with Jesus is to read the Bible with the body of Christ, the church. The church is the people that receive these teachings from Jesus. The church is the one that have preserved these teachings and passed them down and made disciples from generation to generation. This means we gotta read scripture in community. Two ideas for how you can do this in community. One really simple and great way is to simply join a community group. We've got these community groups that meet around uh, North Atlanta and they gather in homes and folks read the read the Bible together. And the Spirit is speaking through folks and they're sharing, hey, I'm seeing this and I'm I'm learning this and, and, and I'm hearing this. And let me share with you. And then you share with them what you're hearing. And we read it in community. We listen to God's voice together in community. Another way we can read it in community is to read what, how, how our brothers and sisters have read the word across time and across space. We've got books. Thanks be to God, right? And so I can read what my brothers and sisters in Africa and in Latin America are saying. I can read what Christian leaders around America are saying or from Asia, right? Right? I can, I can get insights into the word of God from the global family that I belong to, right? I can also do that across time, right? Like every time I open my Bible, these voices are there with me, like St. Athanasius from Egypt, right? And, and, and St. Augustine from North Africa, he, he's right there with me when I'm reading, right? The church fathers and the mothers, medieval mystics, all these folks are there with us. We read The Bible with Jesus, when we read it in community with the church. As the journey to Emmaus is coming to an end, the spiritual journey from blindness to sight is not yet complete. Jesus has showed himself in the scriptures, but there is still one more thing that needs to happen before they can recognize the risen Lord In their midst. Jesus at least makes it look like he's going to keep walking as they're about to take their exit off the Emmaus road into their Emmaus village. And so they say, hey, stranger, we don't know your name yet, but we invite you to our house. (laughs) Hey, it's getting dark. Don't try to go on. Just why don't you come stay with us? I love this hospitality extended to a stranger And then something really strange actually happens. He goes to their home, and he is the guest. And so they should have been the ones like serving the meal and and saying the blessing and all this stuff. But suddenly they find themselves at a meal for which the only one that is ever the host of this meal is Jesus himself. Once Jesus is seated at the table, He took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then the text says, and then their eyes were opened. It's in this moment that they're able to see Christ for who. He is, and they recognized him, and in an instant, he vanishes from their sight. And they say to each other, "We're not our hearts burning as he opened the scriptures to us." Let's ask some wondering questions. Why is this the moment that their eyes are opened? What is it about the breaking of bread that makes Jesus recognizable? What kind of God Reveals himself not only through the word, but through a meal. Notice the unity of the table and the word in this passage. Jesus is going to reveal himself at the table but not first before revealing himself through the word. Our friend, the Bishop N.T. Wright, points out, who, by the way, must be quoted in every incarnation or Trinity west side (laughs) sermon, right? We're we're keeping with tradition here, folks. Marty's here. I mean, if we don't do it, he's going to go back and tell on us. (laughs) N.T. Wright's great. You need to read him. He was pointing out that if we neglect the table and focus only on the word, we turn this thing into some kind of uh, cerebral or intellectual exercise or some kind of emotional exercise. And that becomes what it is. And then he points out that if we neglect the word and focus only on the table, it becomes as if we're doing some kind of magic. And it's clear from this text, it should be hopefully very clear, that we need both the word and the table to receive the full manifestation, manifestation of Christ that God has for us. It's the word and the table that work together to open our eyes so that we can see Jesus for who he is and that we can see his redeeming work in the world. So what happens next in the story? Well, right away, they return to Jerusalem, and, and as they come in the door, they hear the disciples saying, hey, Jesus really is risen, and he appeared to Simon Peter. And as they say that, the final verse we read today says, and then they told them what happened on the road and how Jesus had been made known to them in the breaking of the Of bread. Friends, they have journeyed from blindness to sight. They have journeyed from doubting the resurrection and now they have become witnesses of the resurrected Lord. Where do you find yourself this morning in this story? Are you? Like these two disciples at the beginning of the story, feeling disillusioned by the faith, disappointed in Jesus, not sure if you're walking in the right direction. My prayer for you this morning is that you feel deeply encouraged by this message. I know that Jesus can meet you right where you are, and he is someone that will journey with you and will listen to you, and if you let him, he'll be there to show you in the scriptures that he is even better than whatever construct you may have had of him in the first place. And friends, the good news is you don't have to do it alone. We got a room full of people here that are ready to journey with you, ready to hold your hand. They're not like ashamed of your doubts. They're not ashamed of your disillusionment. It doesn't bother them to receive your story. They wanna walk together with you. They're not gonna pressure you into saying you believe something or, or make it look any better than it is. We're just here to walk with each other as people of faith that can encourage one another when we need encouragement. I encourage you, stick with the journey, be open to learning from a stranger, be ready to listen to God's voice, practice hospitality, stay curious. Maybe this morning you're not on the road to Emmaus. Maybe you're in Jerusalem, like maybe you're in that room, that upper room with the disciples and you're so ready to believe what Mary Magdalene has brought in. And if that's you this morning, I hope God uses this story to encourage you and to restore your confidence in his missionary work. Friends, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It's why he has come. He's the one that goes after disciples who have lost their way. He hasn't given up on your friends and he hasn't given up on your relatives or your co-workers or your neighbors. And so let's join together and let's keep praying and believing that Jesus will open their eyes and reveal himself. And let's prayerfully discern our part in that, right? Like, it's true, God probably wants to use us to reveal his ways in the world, right? Like, you literally are a Christian, a little Christ. He wants to put his spirit in you to reveal himself. But there's also a part where your job stops, and God's part keeps going, right? And so we gotta discern what are the parts that we have to do and what are, the, what are the parts that only Jesus can do? And then thirdly, lastly, I wonder where you are when it comes to the table and the word. Now, I could imagine in a church like ours that there are some of you, like me, that grew up in evangelical background churches for whatever reason. And we're so excited to be at a church that has a table focus, that's not all subjective, that we've got something just objective. Like, no matter what happens today, I'm going to go to church, even if I don't like the sermon, like, I'm going to receive the presence of the Lord in my hand, right? There's something extremely comforting about that, right? Like, the sermon might not be good, might be heterodoxy, but right after, we're going <laughs> to we're going to recite the creed, right? <laughs> and then I'm going to receive the lord. And I know I'm going to get that no matter what. And that that can feel good. And so you've been excited to be at a church with a table focus. And I just want to say I totally get that. But I hope this story today is a good reminder for you that you need to be fed by the word as well as the eucharist. You need to be reading the scriptures with Christ. I love how the disciples exclaimed, were not our hearts burning as he opened the scriptures to us? Maybe it's been a long time since your heart was burning during a sermon or while you were studying the Bible. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to invite the, the the spirit of the risen Lord to do a work in your heart to say, God, warm my cold heart and, and come and And as I open the scriptures, Lord, I need a fresh. I need something fresh from you. I need some fresh fire. I need the heat. And I just encourage you to invite him to do a work. And then there's some of us that are maybe on the other side. I know there are some folks that are just super committed to our church, and you love our church, but you're still trying to figure out, like, what's the deal with this table thing? (laughs) Like, you like the word emphasis, but you're still not sure about the table thing. And I just want to encourage you, it's all right there in the passage today. Like the table was the emphasis along with the word from the very beginning. And if this story of the disciples is true, that the risen Lord does indeed make himself known in the breaking of bread, and that we don't only, if that is the case, then it's also the case that we haven't only received the resurrection account Second hand. It means that we ourselves can know the risen Lord. If he is someone that shows up in the breaking of bread, it means that we can have an encounter with him for ourselves and coming to the table. Fred, Fred Craddock wrote it this way. He said, Christ's presence at the table makes all believers first generation Christians in every meeting place Emmaus. Friends, this is Emmaus. Christ meets us here in the breaking of bread. Christ promises to meet us at the table. I don't know about for you, that's enough for me to lean into this. Like he says he's gonna meet us there. And I encourage you to lean into it. I was going through the daily prayers this week um, and I came across a verse in Psalm 119. And that verse really stuck out to me. And that verse was this. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. And something that stuck out to me is because it almost seemed not true. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. To use the language of today's gospel, we might say the earth is full of God's redeeming work. Like the work of God, redemption is happening all over. If you can see it. How can you see it? May God open our eyes through the reading of scripture and the breaking of bread that we might become persons capable of seeing God's redemption and his work in all the world. Amen.